0: If you're a guest with us, my name is Rob. I'm one of the ministers here on staff at the church. I get to do some teaching, and I'm always honored to do so. You're here on a very special weekend in the life of our church. Uh, this is the launch weekend for our REACH initiative, the three-year strategic plan that you heard a little bit about in the video earlier. Uh, six months ago to the day, we unveiled a vision for our church. September the 13th, we unveiled... Uh, This vision of focusing our efforts as a church to be disciples who make disciples. That's become the heartbeat of everything that we do. And when we launched this vision, uh, we watched God affirm over and over and over again that this is the direction he's been leading our church. Um, We have seen our discipleship groups midweek double. We've gone from 13 groups to 26 with the 27th group getting ready to launch. Uh, We have watched 50 different people go through extensive discipleship training and preparing themselves to be launched into their communities to make disciples. And more stories have been coming out of this than any other period um, that we can remember. God's been blessing this effort because of the clarity, but more so than that, He has put this vision on our hearts, and we're going after it. Now to clarify for you, discipleship, we want to just kind of define the terms. A disciple, someone who's following Jesus, is somebody who wants to know Jesus and make Him known. That's all it is. A disciple of Jesus is someone who wants to know Jesus in a deeper way, and then they want to put all their efforts into making him known to all of the people around them. Discipleship, then, is everything that you do to know Jesus and to make him known. And here at New Hope, our goal uh, over the last six months and and going into our future has been to make everything that we do as a church fit this concept. Everything that we do, we want it to point people to know Jesus and equip them to make Jesus known in the world around them. And so, as we began to focus our efforts on discipleship, we came to realize we probably need to take this big thing of discipleship and really narrow our focus and our efforts into some specific areas over a set amount of time. And so, we're launching Reach, a three year strategic plan to focus even closer into discipleship in three areas. We want to focus on outreach, reaching out to lost and hurting people. That's what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. And quite honestly, I believe that it is the driving force behind the entire initiative. If we miss what I'm going to talk about this morning, we are in danger of missing the bigger point of what God's leading us to do as a church. The other two areas are leadership development. We want to recruit, train, and equip leaders in our church to lead our church into the future. We understand that ministry is, must be reproducible to be sustainable. This ministry will never be about one individual or even one group of people. It's always going to be about who's coming next. And so we want to focus on leadership development. And lastly, within this three-year strategic plan, we're going to have a two-year concentrated generosity initiative. And this initiative is going to challenge each of us individually and as families to take the next step in our generosity efforts in terms of discipleship and following Jesus. So before we get started in talking about outreach, I want to tell you three specific things about the REACH initiative. Three specific things that I think will clarify some things for you. The first is this. We desire 100% participation in this entire initiative, not just parts of it. We would love more than anything else to watch everybody at our church take their next step in reaching out to their lost friends and family members, to reach out to those who are in Christ and yet hurting and needing to be discipled. We want 100% of our people to take their next step in that effort. Secondly, we would love for everybody in our church to take their next step in developing as a disciple and as a leader, and to start asking questions about who they're pouring into that they're going to hand their ministry to when the time comes. And lastly, yes, we are going to ask everybody in our church to make a financial uh, sacrifice and to give sacrificially to the efforts of the generosity piece piece of this initiative. Now, I recognize that when you start talking about money, it, it gets incredibly uncomfortable for some people. I get that. I didn't grow up in church, and I always had this idea that all the preachers wanted was my money. Here's the deal. We don't want to shy away from talking about money. In fact, my prayer would be that we would openly talk about it because Jesus openly talked about it. It's a part of discipleship. There's no way to read your Bible and to argue against that truth. So we want to talk about it. But here's the deal. This morning, I, want, I pray and I hope that I'm clear enough And what we're going to talk about this morning, that you would walk out of here and think money is simply a small part of a much bigger vision of what our church is about to do. And if you feel, after listening to the vision and the heartbeat of what we're getting ready to do, that this is not something that you want to give to, then don't give. Don't give. We're not here to trick anybody. We're not here to con you into something. We're not here to manipulate anybody. All we want to do is clearly articulate the vision that God has placed on our hearts and put every single effort of every single thing that we do to chase after that vision with everything that we have in hopes of knowing Jesus and making him known. Everywhere, in every single area this church touches, we want to know Jesus and we want to make Jesus known. So you heard in the video this concept of a one fund, a one fund approach I want you to think about it this way a one vision approach. Six months ago, we focused all of our efforts into discipleship. Historically, at our church, people have given to multiple funds. We've had a missions fund, a building fund, a benevolence fund, and a general fund, meaning the ministries and the operations that take place in our church. We're going to keep giving to all of that stuff, and you need to know that. We give a lot to all of those areas. But with this one vision, this one mission, concentrating all of our effort and focus into just being disciples who make disciples, part of that would be to look at our finances and bring it all under one umbrella, one mission, one vision, discipleship. What that means for you, that instead of designating funds, writing multiple checks to multiple funds, you can combine all of that into one check. One fund, our one fund, our one mission, our one vision. And it's going to go to all of these areas. We have made a very big commitment In the weeks to follow, we're going to explain this in even greater detail, so I want to ask you to commit to being here each week that you possibly can to hear more about it. But if you also feel, no, I still want to designate, I still want to... You can still do that. We're not telling you you can't do that. Our goal here is not to be divisive. Our goal here is not to cause trouble. Our goal is to concentrate and focus every single thing we do around knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And so if you desire to continue to designate to these different things, you can And your designations will go to offset the budgeted amount that's been set aside for these areas. So we want to encourage you in that. Look, here's the goal. The goal with the finances, the goal with each step of this initiative, the goal with everything that we do, is that we'd only point to one thing. Jesus. We've prayerfully considered this two weeks ago. I was on my face in a room with the leadership of this church, humbling ourselves before God, seeking his face. And we believe over and over again he's affirmed this. And so... I don't know if I've ever been more excited or nervous or worried about a Sunday morning than I am about this morning. Because this is bigger than us, guys. This vision that we've cast is bigger than New Hope Christian Church. It's more than we can handle, and that is awesome. Because we have no other choice but to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and the vision that God is leading us on. We have no other choice than to rely on His strength in our weakness. And so to say we're excited would be a gross understatement. We are elated that God has clarified for us where he wants us to go, who he wants us to be, and how he wants us to accomplish it. So this morning, I get the privilege of launching us onto this journey of reach. And we're going to do so by talking about outreach. And we're going to be in the book of Acts. You can open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment that God would guide this conversation and then at the end of this, you would have a very clear understanding of what this church is all about and where we're headed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that we are powerless to fulfill the mission you've called us to without you working through us. God, my prayer this morning is that um, everybody here, including myself, that we would not just see how this truth will impact our church, but how it might impact them individually, how it might impact each of us and our families. And we would not just be taking the next step in leading to the future of our church, but we would take our families and our own personal spiritual development to the very next level because we begin to understand what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And God, I pray for this with full expectation that you'll answer. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter one, your Bible might actually say at at the heading, it might say, Uh, Acts of the Apostles, right? I'm going to challenge us with that because I don't think that's the greatest title. I think the better title would be Acts of the Holy Spirit because he is the center stage throughout that book. He is the star. He is the person to bring all of your attention to. He is the one working in greater power than anyone else through the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see why in just a moment. But with my goal would be this, that you would see this truth, that through Acts chapter 1 in our understanding of this scripture today, you would see what it looks like with clarity when the people of God allow the Spirit of God to lead them on the mission of God. That's simply what I want. The people of God allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead them on, into the mission of God. That is the goal uh, this morning for our passage. In Acts chapter 1, before we get to verse 8, which is where we're going to land, I want to talk to you about verse 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke, who's a physician, is writing to a friend named Theophilus. Luke, Dr. Luke, also wrote another book of the New Testament, which was? Luke, you nailed it. You're a little more awake than first service. They were like, trick question? No, it's not. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and now he's writing Acts. And here's what he writes to his friend Theophilus. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus. Now, Theophilus had a lot of money, and he wanted to know more about Jesus. And he kind of gave Luke an expense account and said, hey, go take care of this. Do all the research. I want to know more about this Jesus. So he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Circle that word in your Bible, or underline it on your device, or write it down in your notes. All that Jesus began to do and teach. In order for Luke to say that Jesus began to do something implies that Jesus has continued to do something. You see, nowhere in the book of Acts does it say that Jesus is done working, but in the book of Acts it opens up by saying that Jesus began to do something. In the Gospel of Luke. And so what Luke is saying is this. He's saying, in the Gospel, I told you all about what Jesus began to do. What it's not saying is this. It's not saying Jesus began to do something, and now in the book of Acts, the church will continue it. What Luke is saying is what Jesus began to do, he began in his earthly body. And what he's going to continue to do, he's going to do through his Holy Spirit. Now I recognize that talking about the Holy Spirit's a little bit different. We don't talk about him a lot, and quite honestly... There are times where we ignore him and we underestimate what he's doing in our lives. We don't have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. And if we had the time, and look, maybe we'll fit it in this year and we'll do a sermon series on the role of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to focus on one little element of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about as being extremely important. So important that on the last night of his life, Jesus focused his efforts, and in John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, he mentioned the Holy Spirit over 20 different times on the last night of his life. Now, on the last night of your life, I'm going to guess that if you had gathered the people you cared about the most around you, you're going to think very clearly about what you want to say, right? We're not just going to just talk and and have it be meaningless. We're going to say, no, the last night of my life, I know this is my last night. I'm going to focus my language very specifically, and this message needs to be very clear, and so in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus makes this astounding statement to his, his followers. He, he looks at them, and when, when he gathers them around, he begins to tell them, hey, uh, there's actually something that's going to be better than me being with you. And in John chapter 16, verse 7, we'll put it up on the screen, this is what he says. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. So what I'm about to say to you is extremely important. This is a narrow your focus statement. In the Greek language, this is, hey, let's pause for a minute. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if you pause there, picture what it would have been like for three years to have Jesus walking side by side with you. For three years, you watch Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. right? And we've talked about what what would it have been like. We've used this illustration before, but it's awesome, so we're going to say it again. If you're walking with Jesus, what happens when the fire is going out around the campfire? He just clicks his fingers. and When you're on a boat and the storm's coming, he says, now don't worry about it, and the storm goes away. Right When your dog dies, he raises him from the dead. When your cat dies, he helps you dig a hole. <laughs> Just checking. Just checking. We're all on the same page, right? On this journey together, we've got to hate cats. All right. But for three years, they're on this journey with Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and he looks at them, and he says, Hey, it's going to be really good for you if I leave. And they're like, What? It's actually not even going to be really good for you. It's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, he says that the helper will not come. The Holy Spirit's not going to come. But if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come to you. Now, what is it about, like this just completely blows their minds. Wait a second. So you're, you're telling us, Jesus, you're telling us that you leaving is good. So the Holy Spirit that you're talking about, the helper living in us is better than Jesus living next to us? Jesus says, yes. And he's trying to tell them that this is going to be so much better. And so for us to understand this, you've got to think about it this way. How many of you would be excited? Actually, don't answer that. That was a horrible way to lead into that question. Let's just say, don't answer this. Uh, I got up and said, David and I both resigned, uh, effective immediately. We're leaving, um, new hope. But don't worry, Jesus is going to be your next lead minister. Like, in the flesh, Jesus is coming. Some of you would be like, Rob, David, we'll miss you, but not really. (laughs) Jesus is going to be here. You're going to go tell all your friends, Jesus is our lead minister. You know the guy that your minister talks about? Yeah, he's talking about our minister. So you need to come to our church. We would be so pumped and so excited. And it's like Jesus is saying in John 16, he said, are you more excited about the Holy Spirit living in you than you would be about that? Because when you really understand what the Holy Spirit does through you, you would be more excited than you would be if Jesus was simply getting up here to preach to teach you on a stage. It's a profound statement. And yet Jesus thought it so important that when he gave the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels, what we've talked about and preached through, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. When Jesus said that, he then followed it up by telling his disciples, and don't take any steps toward fulfilling that commission. Don't lift a single finger moving forward until the Spirit comes. Don't do anything to follow what I just told you to do until the Spirit comes. Why would Jesus say that? Well, because Jesus understood. Jesus understood a profound truth. I like the way Christopher Wright says it. This is the way he says it. I'll put it up on the screen. It's not so much the case that God had a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world see we mix this up oftentimes we think that God's purposes are to just give a mission to the church you say no I've had a mission all along and now I'm going to give a church to help fulfill that mission the mission is going to happen and the church is invited to be a part of that the people of God are being used by God to fulfill his mission Jesus understood I can't release you to fulfill this mission until the Holy Spirit comes because you're powerless to fulfill this mission without the Holy Spirit And so here's the truth coming out of Acts chapter 1 that I want you to grab onto. This is the heartbeat of this initiative. This is why we're talking about everything that we're going to talk about. This is why it's so important, because it's biblical. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and before you go fulfill this great commission, understand this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Profound statement. He says, the reason I don't want you to move forward, the reason why you need to understand that it's going to be better that I go so that the helper will come. You want to know why it's better that he comes than I stay here? You want to know why it's important for you to not move forward in your mission until the Holy Spirit has come? Because the Holy Spirit provides a power that you are powerless to get on your own. But the power has a purpose. The power of the Holy Spirit, alive and working in your life, is always to point to Jesus. When he says the power of the Holy Spirit, in verse 8, It's to enable you to be a witness for Jesus. You want to know how to be a witness? You want to know how to reach your neighbors? You want to know how to reach the people that you love that are far from God? You need to, in your weakness, recognize that you are powerless to do so on your own. And what you can't do for yourself, God has provided a helper to help you pursue. You see, the Holy Spirit living in us gives us a power that we cannot attain anywhere else to reach people. That's what this initiative is all about. It's about our church coming together and saying, Lord, this vision's bigger than we can handle. We need a helper. We need a helper to help us accomplish this great mission that you have of reaching people, of being your witnesses. So how does this play out? What does it look like? Practically speaking, Rob, what what kind of power does this give us? And and when this power is actually um, in action, what does it look like? And so I want to encourage you with the Bible. I think the best A way to understand the Bible is with the Bible. I think the Bible uh, explains the Bible better than anybody else can. And so I want to use an illustration from the book of Acts. Because in Acts chapter 1, this promise of the Holy Spirit is made. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and he preaches the first Christian sermon. And everybody that's listening wants a piece of this. I want to know, what do we got to do to to rescue ourselves back to God or to allow God to rescue us back to himself and enable us to live this life of being a part of something bigger than ourselves? What do we do, Peter? And Peter looks at them and says, hey, first, repent. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, each and every one of you. For the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will empower you to be witnesses. So, from Acts two thirty-eight, an explosion takes place as people are baptized into Christ, and the Holy Spirit pursues uh, the world through the church, and more and more people, because of the power that they receive to be witnesses, that they would be powerless to be without it, takes place all the way until Acts chapter nine. And the Apostle Paul, who we're going to do a sermon series after this Reach series on his life, the Apostle Paul, Ananias in Acts 9, leads him into Damascus, baptizes him. Then he leads on one of the greatest outreach efforts in the history of the world, becomes the most incredible church planner in the history of the world, and begins to reach people like crazy. Well, in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, you can reference Acts 16, but if you want to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to to land there in just a minute. But Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul comes upon a town called Philippi. And Paul's... through the Holy Spirit, wanting to bring people uh, together so that he can preach the gospel, so that they can experience this life change. And he's gathering people and, and he, he realizes there's, no, there's not enough men here to really have a concentrated effort. And so he goes down by this, uh, this body of water and there's a group of women and he shares the gospel and he baptizes them and they're on fire and they're ready. And Paul's like, I got to stay here for a little while because, and this is important, Paul's outreach efforts looked a little bit different than what we've traditionally been trained to do. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But Paul begins to think in his head, I need to steward these relationships for Jesus. I need to steward these relationships for Jesus. So he's going to spend a little bit of time in Philippi, and he's walking down the road one time, and this little demon-possessed girl, never had this experience personally, but I think I'd respond the same way he did. It keeps nagging at him. He gets so annoyed with her that he heals her of the demon. I'm like, that's awesome, but not to everybody else in Philippi. They're mad because that was their moneymaker. So they decide we're going to put him in front of some legal uh, leaders, and they're going to try him. And so Paul's in this town that he's not used to. You've got to understand this town, most of the people that lived in Philippi, they were retired Roman soldiers, most of the demographic. Allegiance to Rome. And so it was a Roman province. It wasn't located in Rome, but it had all the rights and privileges of Rome. And so now Paul is standing before this legal body, and they find him guilty, and they are going to beat him with a beating that goes beyond anything any of us will ever experience. They're going to flog him and beat him. And then when they're done beating him, With his open, bloody wounds, they're going to put him in a dungeon. And when they put him in the dungeon, Paul knew this was going to happen. They would have bars that would reach from the floor all the way to the ceiling, and they would sit them down, again, bloody and beaten. And they would chain their legs and their arms into awkward positions. If you're like me, I can't even lay in one position at night for longer than 10 minutes without moving. I can't imagine what it would be like to be tied up in an awkward position. The agony, the pain, the cramping. And the purpose of it was to inflict the most amount of pain without killing somebody. And then on top of that, they were going to chain his head to the wall so that he couldn't even fall asleep to get away from the pain. This is what Paul had in store for him. And Paul endures the beating. He gets put into the prison. And then around midnight, the text tells us that he is singing. He and Silas, the guy that was with him, they're singing praise songs. And you just ask, how are you doing that? How, in the midst of your lowest moment, when most would be questioning God's plans, are you able to praise God and bring attention and glory and focus to Him? And it's Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave Him a power that He was powerless to have without it. And He endured that for a reason, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Traditionally, our outreach efforts have been all about simply getting people converted. We're trained to go and get your neighbor to church so that they can become a Christian and then they're just a Christian and that's all there is to it. It looks similar to this. This is what I call a bonded set. A bonded set is simply those that are in the kingdom in the middle of that circle. They go to the outside of that circle and they go after the lost to get them into the circle. And here's the deal. That's not bad. The intention behind that is wonderful. My argument from Acts chapter 16 and Philippians chapter 2 is going to be that it's slightly incomplete. You see, true outreach requires discipleship, and discipleship's not easy. Discipleship's not a one-time decision. It's a lifelong journey. I don't know if this is your story, but this is my story. November of 2001, I was baptized into Christ, and I remember vividly coming out of the waters and thinking to myself, as people around the swimming pool were cheering, and I had all these new Christian friends I'm a high school senior who had no exposure to Jesus prior to this. And I'm thinking to myself, what now? What do I do now? And not because anybody had bad intentions. And not because anybody was not a good person. They loved the Lord. But they never answered that question for me. I never got that answer. It took years and years and years later for somebody to begin to view me different than, oh, you're in the kingdom? Okay, job well done. And we move on. But somebody to recognize, no, this is... This is an incomplete model. We need to disciple this young man. And so I would propose, based on Acts 16, that we actually approach uh, outreach this way. This is what we call a centered set. And each arrow pointing to or away from Jesus represents a person in your life. And you'll notice that some arrows, they're really short arrows pointed right toward Jesus. This concept is called relational stewardship. That's what outreach is all about. And so you're going to look at that arrow that's shorter but pointed toward Jesus, and you begin to think to yourself, this person, man, they they love the Lord, but they need to be discipled, and the goal of your life is to get that arrow to grow longer. But you see, you have other people in your life that are a long arrow pointed away from Jesus. This represents someone who's hostile. They want nothing to do with the Lord, and the goal of your life with that person is to get that arrow to shrink and ultimately turn around. And the, the, the medium-sized arrow that's pointed away, you recognize it's a little bit different. They're not quite, quite hostile. i got to approach them uh, in, a, in a little bit of a different way. And then you have uh, the, the, the arrow that's uh, just real short pointed away from Jesus, and you think, you're right there. You're on the cusp. You're almost there, and i got to go after you. And i got, I got to let the Holy Spirit empower me to come and reach you. The goal of every relationship in your life, church, every relationship in your life, if you are in Christ, I'm talking, you can't find one relationship where this wouldn't be the goal. Would be that that person, fill in the blank, because of their interaction and exposure to you, would be closer to Jesus. When I go home and I put my head on my pillow at night, the question I have to ask myself is, is my wife, Sarah, is she closer to or further from Jesus because of her exposure to me today? When I approach my little brother, who is not in Christ right now, and I say, is my brother's interaction with me brought him closer to or further from Jesus? There's not a relationship with my kids, with my neighbor, with anybody else that in, is in my life or in your life. The biggest question for us when we think about reaching out and taking our next step in outreach as a part of this initiative is this. God, Will your Holy Spirit empower me to go the next step with this person to get them closer to you? Now, the Apostle Paul understood this and so in Philippians chapter two, he hadn't given up on this. You see, he had had planted a church and he'd got Christians established in Philippi, but he wasn't done. He realized, no, this is an important thing, that outreach is relational. Relationships aren't always easy and they require hard work and prayer, but there is nothing in this life worth giving yourself to that is greater than discipling people to come closer to Jesus and then equipping them to make Jesus known. There's nothing greater to give your life to than to know Jesus and to make Jesus known in the world. And Paul knew this, and so he was able now to write in Philippians chapter 2 these words. So that if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in what? Two of you. Any participation in what? the spirit if the spirit is empowering you if the spirit is empowering you if there's any affection or sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count yourselves count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others paul can write these words and the people in philippi say yeah Yeah, we know that's true of Paul because Paul, when he was convicted of that crime, when he was here in Philippi, all he had to do was say, I'm a Roman citizen and you can't touch me. And he would have never been beaten and he would have never been thrown in that prison and he would have never gone through that discomfort. But he looked back and saw young Christians who needed to know that their allegiance to Jesus was far greater and needed to be far more important than their allegiance to Rome. And so he endured the beating for them and they knew it. So now when he writes this letter back to them and he says, on my lowest moment, on my darkest day, the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to put you first. What does it look like when a whole church of people commit themselves to reaching out to lost and hurting people? To bringing people into the kingdom and discipling them and enabling them and equipping them to go reach other people? It's a beautiful thing. It gives us the ability, the Holy Spirit's power gives us the ability to turn our darkest day Into something that can point to Jesus and make much of him. There's no two people in my life that have modeled this, like Brian and Janice Langford. Brian's an elder here at the church, he's become one of my dearest friends, a mentor. Janice, his wife, is my administrative assistant here at the church, and she thinks for me. (laughs) She's good at her job. together as a family they are incredible and their story points to this truth and where we're headed as a church with greater clarity than anything i've come across and so nobody better to tell their story than them check this out
1: i'm brian langford and this is my wife janice and we've been at new hope since the year 2000 what kept us here when we first walked in the door at new hope was just um people being real being friendly you come in and sit down and Um, It's just a feeling of family right away. This church has really become home and our family to us. Our oldest son uh, was killed at the age of 23 about a year and a half ago. And not just for us and our family, but for this community. Uh, This entire community got to see that the body of Christ is living and it's alive. And that the people of New Hope were our family and and that that Bride of Christ uh, came to be here with compassion, with empathy, with love. It's easy to read in Scripture that He is the strong tower, and that He is our rock, and that He is our comforter, but it's true. You never get over the death of a child. And each day we come back to that strength or we couldn't get out of bed. It has been a challenge. And um, our youngest son, one of the first things he said was, this doesn't happen to us. (laughs) You know, what are we going to do? And um, thankfully we dug deep and we had a faith We had great friends and family and a lot of support. And together, we every day take another step. As we continue um, to grow through this, we so often go back to Romans eight and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. And that verse 28, Uh, clearly says, you know, that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And that's a verse that I could never understand. But we see the opportunity every day that this, this tragedy in our life is being used for good. And it's healing us, and it's bringing us closer to God at a depth and a dimension that we never would have known without it. And only because of that can we love others in these circumstances and in these same situations? You know, we, we get to see with Justin, and even at uh, his celebration of life, uh, his roommate was actually quoting from Matthew and said, You know, a lot of people get that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, we get that. But Justin lived the next part and love your neighbor as yourself. And he did it every day, and he showed the love of Christ. And we see Kyle uh, as well, you know, just that continued journey. And he has a heart for discipleship that is on fire and that will never stop to love others and to show them the love of Christ and to introduce them to their Savior for eternity. And our focus is razor sharp (laughs) on loving others and cutting through the minutiae to talk about what's important, to love more deeply, to forgive more quickly, and and to focus on, on eternity. And, and to focus on heaven, and uh, not to fear. We just live boldly, or pray that we can live more courageously and boldly each day. For journey.
0: While we're having church this morning, Brian and Janice are in Phoenix, Arizona meeting the recipient of their son's heart. This guy doesn't speak any English at all. Brian and Janice don't speak Spanish. (laughs) So Brian, a few weeks ago, drafted a letter to this man. Had a close friend translate it into everyday Spanish not academic just common language for the last few weeks Brian's tried to memorize that but he wanted to go the extra mile and so he's got a translator coming with him they're going to meet this man because they know that the Holy Spirit has empowered them on their darkest hardest day to have a power to reach people and in this letter toward the end Brian writes my son's heart belonged to Jesus. And if you want hope, you need Jesus too. See, during this initiative over the next few weeks, you're going to hear about some things we're going to do. We're going we're to provide all kinds of opportunities here on this campus to reach people in our community. And we're going to train, recruit, and equip uh, leaders to take our church to the next level and to hand our ministry off. And and yes, we're going to ask you to give financially, sacrificially financially, so that we can improve our building in this community. But if you think for one minute that this initiative is about a building or about money, then you just missed the point. This initiative is about reaching people for Jesus. And that's it. Everything we do as a church, from now on, will be about introducing people to Jesus. And that's it. So I want to leave you with two challenges. Grab a vision book on your way out and on the page for today's sermon, write the name of somebody in your life who you need to go the extra mile for and getting them closer to the Lord. Somebody who you feel too weak to reach. Somebody who you need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to get to them. And I want you to begin praying for that person every single day and watch what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Our second challenge is for you to grab a balloon as a family. And on this balloon, it's got a challenge written on it on your way out. It says, what will it look like for me, for us as a family, to reach out and live a life of being disciples who make disciples? And then what we're going to do is we're going to go home and we're going to circle up with our kids and we're going to get down on our knee and we're going to begin to pray as a family about giving our whole life to something bigger than ourselves and then release that balloon as you pray together as a family. Just to be a reminder. Just to be a reminder. A moment in time that you can remember as a family, this is when we became about this. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand together and sing. And if during that song you want to know what it looks like to have that power alive in you, I would love nothing more than to talk to you or if you just want to use the words to this song uh, that we're going to sing just to be a prayer you can do that as well but i'm going to ask us to stand here and i'm going to pray go ahead and stand and i'm going to pray together and then we're going to sing this song and then i want to invite you if you have a decision to make to go ahead and do that let's pray